Network, how goes it? It's I, Adam Yuhan, again here with another Pilot Network podcast. And today, we're taking a different tact on what we usually talk about. No aviation, no job stuff, no how the career is going to be affected down the road, but how to best use those hard-earned bucks that you have from your job in whatever way you choose to do it. Uh, and how to best use that money to get where you want to be through your home purchasing power. Joining me today is Brett Schnacki, loan originator from NBKC, that's National Bank of Kansas City. Uh, he is a mortgage expert. And how Brett came to us as one of our members, asked us if we were interested in chatting with his, I think it's his brother-in-law, we'll get into that. And uh, Brett was that man, and Brett is a whiz when it comes to mortgages, not only mortgages in general, but especially for folks like us who have a weird income verification process and statement, whether you're a military person who's part-time, whether you're an airline pilot who's just starting out, or you take a couple of days off here and there, or your income varies kind of wildly month to month, that can be a problem in the mortgage or the mortgage getting process. I know that I had that issue when I first uh, did it as a reservist. And I wish I would have had a little more background and knowledge base. I had a great originator at the time, uh, but Brett came to us and wanted to talk directly to us at TPNX. And we said, sure, after Matt uh, talked with Brett, he, we realized he had the same ideas that we do, ideals. Uh, he had the heart of a teacher, really wants to help pilots and especially veteran pilots out to get where they want to be in their mortgage process. And we are just really excited to have Brett here to kind of unravel a few things that some of us might be afraid to ask. And I know that you can go on the internet and type in what are the 20 questions I need to ask. But man, I don't know about you. It is so much better when I actually get to talk to somebody. And today we're talking with Brett Schnacki. Brett, welcome to the podcast. How are you today? Thank you, Adam. Really happy to be here. So Doing good. Good. Great to hear, Brett. Uh, it was really nice, uh, Brett, when you said, you know what, I'm, I'm in. I want to come down to Orlando and chat about mortgages and how I can help out uh, my constituents, if, they, if you want to call them that, as in pilots and, and vets. So how, like, let's go a little bit in your background. How did you first get into the mortgage industry? How did the road wind up and lead you there? Oh, goodness. That was back in 1995. Um, I had actually been in a, another industry, and, and it was just as simple as a friend of mine needed some help at, uh, at his mortgage shop and convinced me to give it a try. And within days, I realized it was a, a career that I would really enjoy and have been doing it ever since. Been at this bank here, NBKC Bank, for a little over 11 years now. And this was... Uh, a great final place to be to to be in our industry because the bank provides great service, great pricing, and we do it all right here in the bank. Um, so that's kind of how I ended up here and got into it. So it's funny because a lot of pilots are looking at second careers possibly. And uh, I, I've said that this is one that may not be a uh, second career possibility for a pilot, but I've talked from uh, a position of ignorance, which most of my friends and my family and definitely my wife would say is a regular thing. Now, <laughs> is it, it, it in, in going off the path of what we're going to get into and in talking specifically about mortgage processing and, and what, uh, what Brett can do to help us all out. Oh, by the way, a full plug. Uh, Brett helped sponsor some of TPNX and we are courting Brett as a sponsor of TPN. So call this a advertisement, infomercial, whatever you want to do. But I think when you hear what Brett has to say, you're going to be right in the same boat as me uh, trying to refinance, which we're going to be doing right after we're done with the podcast. Anyways, um, let's, uh, let's, let's ask that question. If I wanted to do this as a side job, um, going maybe in a couple of years when uh, when the kids are a little older, when my military career is done and I'm looking for something to go do on the side and realizing maybe real estate, uh, the entry into real estate is not what I want to do. Is this, is this a job that you could do almost part-time? Is there any abil ability to do that? You know, that is a good question. Um, 
I think it would be I think it would be tough to do on a part-time basis to be honest with you keeping up with everything uh, but if you had the right bank that was okay with that and had a good mentor at that bank to help pull you along that that might be a possibility there's a there's just so many ins and outs and so many rules that you you want to make sure you're on top of them all um, but yeah I we don't have anyone here that does that part-time but I suppose a person could do it part-time if they wanted to okay so maybe we'll have one of our members be the first to break into that part-time role of mortgage uh, originator because I, I do know there's always there's always some uh, guy or gal out there who's trying to perfect the hustle uh, when it comes to that stuff. <laughs> and, and we talk about that pretty often in TPN because we don't want necessarily to preach the, hey, aviation and, and that route is the only job that's available for you, that you can do this and actually turn it into a, a, into a, a nice part-time gig as an aviator and there's so much else out there to do uh, that can be either passion projects that are full-time or you can actually make uh, a decent living off of these passion projects or creating a business that becomes far more than just a passion and becomes uh, what you do as your primary not only means of income but primary uh, time utilizer if you want to call it that sounds that's a good way of putting uh, putting all your eggs in the basket and working on that for a while. But anyways, I know what, I know what the network wants to hear about and I know what I want to talk about too. Uh, as somebody who's purchased a few homes, looking at real estate investment in the future, also uh, having been down uh, the refinance track once and not really knowing what I was doing as I was going through each step and definitely not understanding how it was affecting me on the other side of it. And taking a look now and going, okay, you know, I wish I would have known some of this stuff earlier, number one. Number two, in the future and just going forward because the landscape has changed yet again and uh, I don't really, I personally am ignorant on all this stuff. I figured I'm going to break down with some basic questions and then we'll just go from there. So um, the first question that I do have is how do, how does a mortgage work. I, I mean, it sounds so basic, but when you think about it, you're taking out a loan for a lot of money. <laughs> and to me that it just doesn't seem, uh, it seems kind of crazy that there's a bank out there who would give me hundreds of thousands of dollars to say, yep, here you go. Uh, you have, this is your money to go out and buy a home. So the basics of a mortgage of how the appraisal process and all that stuff ties together to get me the, the money I want in a, in a simple uh, package to understand. Um, yes. So there's, there's, you know, there's what three parts to a mortgage. There's your credit, uh, there's your income, and then there's the collateral. That's the house. Um, and the, the mortgages are for the most part all backed by the government the VA loans, which I know we're going to talk a lot about, are that's a you know the Veterans Affairs. That, that's a government entity, so that loan is backed by the government. Same with FHA loans, um, and then the conventional loans, which are what most folks out there have who are not eligible for a VA loan. Uh, the conventional loans are, are backed by Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. Those are terms you may have heard, and those are pseudo-government entities. In, in other words, the government doesn't own them, but it does back them up. And so when you start with the fact that the government's going to back up all these, that's that's how it's easy for us to loan all that money to different people because there's a backstop there. It's not really coming from our own bank portfolio. Uh, and that's going to be the way with most lenders you talk to. Um, so now we just need to make sure you fit in that bucket. Your credit's okay. Your income's acceptable to the underwriter and the collateral, the house. Um, and that's the appraisal right there is okay. Um, and so then, you know, we originate the loan, we process it. We processing it means we gather all your income and bank docs and then do a bunch of other, uh, 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 verifications a lot of them are behind the scenes that you may not even be aware of and then we get that all together and then an underwriter reviews all that and either approves it or 
or says something else needs to be done and and you get past underwriting and then you you go to the closing stage and that's where we actually send closing docs to your title company um, in the case of a purchase transaction where you go and sign everything or your law office in a couple of different states um, or if it's a refinance we can just send the docs uh, to a notary that can come to your house and and so then once that loans originated and everything and then some of these larger banks will buy them and then the agencies will will buy them directly too and that's the the VA the FHA the Fannie and Freddie we spoke of um, but then there's always the the you never get a bill from Fannie Mae or VA because they don't actually service the loans and so that's that's the the servicing is the parts you're probably the, the most familiar with that's the statement you get each month and has the customer service number on there if you need to call in and that's who you make your payment to so um, that's kind of a real brief start to finish there if that if that makes sense oh no that yeah that's uh, that's perfect for kind of the jump off point to some of the other questions that I have for you because so one of the things you talked about was the VA, FHA, conventional loans, uh, which I understand the basics of all three of those. It, within those, within that structure, you have different um, terms uh, or, or lengths or whatever you want to call it. Um, and I know you can, back, I remember back in when I first started all this or even before talking to my parents, it was okay. You have a thirty-year loan, and that's what you have, and that was kind of what was out there. Now you can do a million and one different things. Can we go over a couple of those just to give folks and myself some ideas of um, future, you know, what my possibilities are for not only my primary residence, but if I were to get a vacation home or I were to go out and buy some uh, real estate uh, investment property? Uh, what else is okay. out there for me? Uh, yeah, those are the for buying investment property. The conventional loans are what you go with. Uh, same with buying a second home, uh, because the the VA loan is is a great loan, uh, but it's mainly just geared for a primary residence. So you use it to buy a new home or to refinance an you know the home you already live in to, to refinance to a lower rate or get cash out or whatever your goal is. Um, and so the VA and FHA loans are not available for investment properties. Um, and, and the only exception to that is if you already have a VA loan on a house and then you move, move on to another area and want to refinance that VA loan, if you just do it with another VA streamline loan, you can do that. Um, but but the main answer to your question is if you're going to buy investment properties or uh, second homes, it has to be the conventional loan generally. Um, and it's uh, 10% down is what they like to see at a minimum on a second home. 20% down is, is what they want to see on an investment property. Unless it's a, a multi-unit, like a two to four unit, then they want to see 25% down. So when you get into the investment properties, they like to see a, a good size down payment to buy them. Okay. Uh, and that is kind of exactly what I was hoping for. And that what now, uh, as far as terms go for length of the mortgage uh, and, and what is out there, uh, can we talk about that? Like I right now I have a 30-year uh, mortgage, which I'm probably going to uh, change up possibly. Um and I know there's a million and different million and one different ways to talk about this and skin this cat. So uh, let's just start off with that. We'll talk about 30 year and then branch out from all of that. Yeah. 30 year is definitely the most popular, uh, especially when rates are low, like they are these days. Um, but if you're, you know, if you're refinancing and don't want to do another 30 years, you can do it in five-year increments, basically, a 25 or a 20 or a 15 or even a 10-year. Um, so those are the different terms you have. When you get from, when you go from 30 down to 20, the rate improves a little bit. When you go from 20 down to 15, it improves a little more. So generally, the shorter the term, the little bit better, better rate you will get. Um, 
There's also adjustable rate mortgages, and those have just not been as popular lately, only because the fixed rates have been low for for several years now. Um, an adjustable rate just means the rate's fixed for a certain amount of time, and then it can adjust after that. It's usually a three or a five year fixed period, and then it's adjust after that. Um, so those are those are kind of the different rate options and term options you would have. Okay, I I had a question about the ARM uh, adjustable rate mortgage stuff. If it, I'm just trying to figure out, especially nowadays uh, with the rates being as low as they are, and we'll talk about that here shortly. When does it make sense for an adjustable rate mortgage to be utilized? Um, it's it's best used when folks know that they for sure don't think they will be in a house for a long time or in that property for a long time or even in that mortgage for a long time. So, you know, some people might be in their house for many, many years, but have have refinanced it a, a two or three times already. Um, and for them, sometimes that lower rate for that temporary period, which gives them the extra cash flow is, is beneficial to them. Um, so it's, 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 it's something that you kind of want to look at too in terms of a, a temporary situation um, because you don't really know where the rate's going to be in the future. Um, you know, the the flip side of that is rates have, have been low for so long that some folks who have arms that are resetting now uh, and get their new rate, they're not real alarmed by it. It hasn't gone up a lot. Um, but this this market we've in, we're in where these rates have been this low for this long is is it's been great for us. It's been great for you all that buy houses and need to refinance them. Um, but it's also just made those adjustable rates just not near as popular because it's, it, you don't get much benefit um, to the low, you know, you don't get much benefit because it's not that much lower than just the fixed rate. And with that fixed rate, you just got the comfort of not ever worrying about it. Yeah, I, th I, I can see, uh, I, I just remember some friends of mine doing adjustable rate mortgages back in the dark ages of 2008, 2009, um, or 2007, 2006 to 2008. And yeah, uh, yeah, that was not, uh, not a great time to buy a house or anything at that point, especially when I was up in Michigan and I, it kind of scared me away from anything like that going forward. Um, especially nowadays where it's like, well, if I can lock in a rate like that, uh, which is so low. So let's uh, talking about that before we go any further, what currently today, and for those of you who are listening, uh, who hear this, pro it'll probably come out, um, uh, hopefully before the end of the year, uh, 2019, that is not 2020. Hopefully, uh, there won't be that much of a shift and the rates do change daily. Uh, but what is the rate today? Um, yeah, good, good question. Rates do change daily and rates different, uh, based on loan amounts and based on credit scores. Um, so if, you know, if you want to borrow a hundred thousand versus someone who wants to borrow 400,000, you're going to get a much better rate quote on the 400,000, for example, um, because the, the bank has an easier opportunity, in other words, to, to make money on that. Um, and then, of course, the credit scores have a, a significant factor. But let's just look here. You know, if you're looking at VA fixed rates, they're in the low threes these days, uh, 3.1, 3.2, 3.3 range, depending on all those different things we talked about. If you're looking at conventional rates, those are in the mid to high threes, 3.6, 3.7, 3.8 range. Um, and and so that's and so that's generally with a decent credit score, mm -hmm. 700 or above, um, and um, you know an average loan amount of 250 to 350 thousand. Um, and then if you're looking at an investment property, you're you're getting more closer to the low, to uh, excuse me, to the mid fours like 4.3, 4.5, and then those are all 30-year fixed rates. So those are kind of some basic rate ranges right now. The market's volatile. They pop up, they pop down. So it all depends on when we look at it. But if anyone ever wants to know what would my rate be, all I need to know is 
you know, they email me or call me is, you know, roughly what's your home worth now? Roughly how much do you owe on your mortgage? Um, you know, what state it's in and what your credit score is in. And I can, with those things, can get a, a rate quote to, to about anyone. Um, if you're taking cash out of the property, then that adds a little bit more on the conventional rates. Um, that might add up to a quarter percent. So, you know, if you're refinancing just a, a standard mortgage and you get a rate quote at 3.65, uh, but if you say, I want to, you know, I want to max it out, I want to get all the cash I can out of the property, that might be 3.875. So it's not a huge difference, but it's just a, a little bit of a difference there. Um, and so there's there's other factors that go into it too. So I always tell folks, I can give you just a quick number if you if you just want to have a quick range, or I can give you a detailed worksheet if you're really looking into it and want to crunch the numbers with the closing cost factored into it as well. Which is exactly what Brett did for me. He uh, gave me kind of a detailed worksheet, but we're going to get into some real detailed stuff after our podcast conversation, uh, which he just heard and found out about right now. So I wanted to, uh, but I would do want to say that yeah, it, it does, it's, it's detailed enough where there's some stuff. Um, and like I said, I've been through this before a few times. I, I have questions because I don't understand uh, a lot of basic financial things when it comes to anything that's in some sort of spreadsheet or, uh, or good faith estimate. I always have questions. Now, at least I have them. The first time I ever did this, I was like, yep, looks good to me. And I had no idea what I was signing or doing. And I uh, thank goodness had somebody who would walk me through and guide me and didn't take too much advantage of me, at least that I know of. So um, Brett has been much better on, uh, or, or I should say this, I've been much better on asking questions and Brett is very patient with me to answer those questions. <laughs> so I, um, uh, well, here's a question that I've, I've always had and I don't think it really fits in with, uh, um, with well, let, before I get to that, uh, Brett and I talked about this the other day. You, how do you, if I wanted to lock in a rate today, how do I do that? Um, we have to have an application on file to lock in a rate. Um, and so if you just, in my email link, there's a link to that apply now, or if you were to go to our webpage, nbkc.com and, and search for me on there, that would be another way to do it. Um, and then I need an address to lock in a rate. So if you're, if we're talking about a refinance, we already have the address. That's, that's the home or the property address that you want to refinance. If we're talking about a purchase transaction, that's where, that's where it gets, a that's where we have to have basically, you know, an agreement in place of some sort. We don't necessarily have to have the actual contract. If, if you call me and say, here's, here's the address we're buying. We've agreed to the deal. We've agreed to the terms. I, you know, I don't have the contract finalized yet, but I will. Then I can lock your rate in at that point in time when I have a, uh, an address of the house you're buying. Um, and, and that's the one that's, uh, we have to explain a little bit more because sometimes people will just be in the pre-qualification stage. They're looking and, you know, the hair rates are low, so they want to lock it, but we do need the property address to lock it in. So, an application, uh, which can be done electronically or over the phone, and uh, an address is, is all we need to lock a rate. And then from that point in time, we can lock it in, and then you don't have to worry about what the market's doing. We've got it locked in for a 45-day period or a 60-day period, or depending on when your contract close date is. That's simple enough for me. Uh, and you mentioned something in there that I wanted to ask about, and I've never understood the difference between this, uh, pre-qualified versus pre-approved. What, what a, what's the difference there? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question too. And that's, that's come up a lot more these past few years than it used to. And for the most part, I think most banks are, are the way we are for, for me to give you a pre-qualification letter, I have to have your app on file so I can look at your credit and I have to know what your income is. Um, you know, if you've got a standard job with a basic salary, that's real easy to calculate the income. Um, and so a lot of times I'll, I'll be able to do that very quickly. For example, if you put the application in this morning, go online and click on it and fill it out, I can get you pre-qualified very, very quickly within an hour. If it's, if it's an urgent issue and issue the pre-qualification letter and that will actually work for many real estate agents out there. 
Um, but lately, more and more of them are asking for a full pre-approval letter. And that just means that in addition to putting the application on file, you upload your income statements. So this would be your pay stubs or your W-2s. If you're self-employed, this would be your full tax returns. You And then bank statements or, or whatever else we need. You upload those things. And then we have the underwriter review the file too. So they the loan originators can always print up a pre-qualification, but if we need a full pre-approval, our underwriter takes a quick look at it and reviews it and, and they uh, give it the pre-approval and then I can issue the pre-approval letter. And in the, the competitive real estate markets especially, that is something that a lot of agents now are demanding to see before they'll accept your offer. Um, either, uh, you know, even if your buyer's agent doesn't ask for some for it, the listing agent might. Uh, so we always recommend if we're going to get you pre-qualified, let's go ahead and get you pre-approved so you have that full pre-approval and, and then that way there's nothing that could sneak up on us later in the process. That is some fantastic stuff right there. Uh, another thing I wish I would have known back in the day, I, I got that pre-qualification and thought I was, you know, money good to go. And if I would have just gotten a pre <laughs> if I would have gotten a full pre-approval and it wasn't so much that, um, I, I was led astray by anybody. I had a, I had a really great, uh, loan originator at the time and he was extremely helpful. Uh, so was his team. But the problem was, was I, when I started the process, I just got a quick pre-qualification or qualification, pre-qualification letter. Uh, cause I was like, Oh, that's good enough for me to go start shopping and get that house I want. And I didn't want to do all the extra work for the pre-approval letter of submitting all the documentation where had I done that right off the bat, uh, my, the, the entire process would have gone a lot quicker and smoother because we did have some hiccups going through underwriting once trying to get some of the stuff put piece together, which, uh, is a whole nother topic that we're going to get into right now. Let's talk about that underwriting process of, so I submit everything to you and we're, we're, we're getting ready to, uh, we've, we've made an offer, maybe we're pre-approved or whatever the case might be. And we will start the underwriting process of, of seeing where we're at with everything. Can you walk us through that? Cause that is to me the most confusing and painful part of this whole ordeal at times. Yeah. Um, it, it, I hear a lot of people say that it can be confusing and painful. Um, Generally, it, it shouldn't be, though, um, because as long as we have a discussion about what your income is, and I know I know with pilots, sometimes that's real easy, and sometimes it's a little harder. You know, I just started at Southwest, and I also do the Guard Reserve, um, but it's easy. It's, for the most part, it's fairly easy for us to obtain what we need up front so that the underwriter is okay with it. Um, and the income and the assets, the bank statements, those are, those are the two things that people can get jammed up on. And so we just want to make sure we have a conversation about that up front, just, just so we know that we're right where we need to be. Um, you know, the assets, that's the bank statements in other words. And so if, if folks are, are sending their money from one statement to another and, pulling it in and pulling it out, um, then, you know, the underwriters need to see that paper trail. Um, if all the money's just in one bank statement and it never moves, then that's an easy paper trail. That's just one statement. Um, so there's, sometimes there's a little frustration there when we have to, when we want to see the various uh, forms of the bank statements showing, because the underwriters are real concerned about where the money comes from. And so as long as it comes from you, then, then that's perfect. If it comes from a, a gift from your parent or a relative, that's okay too. There's a lot of different ways we can do that, but the easiest thing is to just talk it over up front, and then I can give you the simple steps to get that lined up. And then same with income. Um, if you got income from two different sources, um, two different jobs, that that makes the underwriters ask a couple more questions, but we can get that figured out too. A lot of times, just a statement of service or a letter from a CEO explaining what they anticipate their income to be in the you know the reserve guard the next year. It's as simple as that. At least with us, it is. We're real we're real flexible on those type of issues. We just got to make sure we uh, document them 
uh, and that's that's not near as hard as it sounds, um, but just get them documented right for the underwriter. And uh, then once the underwriter has given us a number, then it's it, then we know what we can do. We know right what our how much you can get approved for, and in, in most cases you can probably get approved for more than you even want to spend. Um, we come across that a lot, um, depending on the the guidelines. So did that did that kind of answer your question? Or oh, did I, yeah, no, you, you totally did, and it kind of rolled right into the two questions that I had. Uh, after that, that didn't make any sense, but you uh, to piece together, but you tied them together really nicely. So uh, first, we'll ask um, uh, how long is that processing time normally from that from there to uh, close close of the the mortgage, close of the loan. Uh, we can always uh, close a loan in thirty days. Um, that's kind of one of the things we boast about. We have a close on time guarantee. Um, and so if you're talking about a purchase transaction that has a contract date, so that's a, that's an important deadline because a lot of parties are involved in that deadline. You, you're involved in it, the seller is, and maybe the seller's buying another house and those folks are involved in it. So, so we, we, uh, we boast that no matter what time of the year it is, even in the real busy, you know, summertime months, we can do it all within 30 days. Um, so that's by the, that's when you give us a contract. So I would say, you know, give me a couple days ahead of that to get you pre-approved and then we can absolutely close a loan in 30 days. Uh, and a refinance is pretty much 30 days too, but a refinance could take a little longer just because it doesn't have the, the priority that a purchase does since it doesn't, you know, a purchase has a firm deadline A refinance usually doesn't, but if it does, in other words, if you're refinancing to take cash out to use that cash to put down on the new house you're buying, uh, then it, then it does have that same priority. So there's your long answer. It's about 30 days. That's not, that wasn't a long answer at all. That was perfect. Uh, let's uh, <laughs> move right into the next thing that you said in that same kind of statement. Um, how much, how, so I am, I'm a, and I've mentioned it before on the podcast and talked to other guys, kind of a Dave Ramsey acolyte when I first start when I first started out getting my finances together. Certain things I've changed out of the way Dave Ramsey operates a little bit, uh, just because I've got my financial house in order and I feel more comfortable going out and doing some more not extravagant um, ideas with money, but investment strategies to best set me up for other things that I want to do as far as real estate investment and possibly retiring early. That's kind of one of my big goals. So putting money in, in certain spots that might do a little bit better than just your standard uh, index fund, even though an index fund is a fantastic way to go. Um, but one of the things that you mentioned that I see that can kind of trip a lot of folks up, especially because I've heard they get talked into it or their eyes get real big is how much house they can afford versus how much they should afford. Some guys like to go for that uh, captain house when they're on regional FO pay. And that's probably not the best idea to, to go about that process. Where's your, where's your stance on that? And, and how do you normally counsel folks on how much house they can versus how much house they should uh, buy or afford? Um, yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Um, because a lot of folks when they're buying their house, their, their situation might be, you know, the income I have right now, this house payment is going to be tough, but in the near future or a year from now or two or three years from now, um, the income is going to be significantly more than I have now. So this, this house payment is going to be comfortable then. Um, so I kind of just, I kind of sell them, yeah, you know, just because you can afford more, if you're not comfortable doing it, um, then, then absolutely go with the payment that's comfortable to you. Um, a lot of times, you know, the wife might have an income that we're not even using. So they'll tell me that and I'm, then I realize, okay, well then this payment is a lot more comfortable to you. Um, the, the overall guidelines say that you should, that you have to keep your 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 payments, you know, less than 
45% of your gross income. And, and that's, uh, that can be a little longer conversation there that we can sure get into if you want to. Um, and the VA guidelines will stretch that even more. The VA guidelines, if you've got good credit, will go to 55 or sometimes 60% of your gross incomes. Um, so, so yeah, so me personally, I would be a little concerned if, if that's what my income ratios were mm -hmm. for my guidelines. So it's, it's, it's kind of hard to coach folks on what house payment they, they, they can have because, because like you said, sometimes they just want a lot more house than maybe what the, the, you know, they can comfortably afford, but if they've got a way to afford it and they're comfortable with the payment, then, then I'm comfortable with it too. And then the opposite is I've always told them, if you ever get into a situation and are really having buyer's remorse, you know, if you're think you've really thought about this payment for a couple of weeks now and you're not comfortable with it, it's, 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 you never hurt my feelings if you just exit the transaction because it's just not right for you at this point in time. But most folks have that piece of the puzzle figured out before they, you know, sign the contract and go forward. Always a good thing to have that piece kind of figured out. And I, that, what I liked what you said there, where if you don't, you, you don't take it personally or anything like that. I think it's just nice to hear that because a house, especially for the folks out there who could be buying their house for the first time, it is a large purchase and it is definitely something that you will have, uh, maybe not buyer's remorse, but you'll, it'll freak you out when you first see that you owe that much money on, on something for the first time in your life. Yep. And yep. Um, it, it's okay to talk through all that. It's all right to also think, okay, maybe, you know, I always, the best part about a house and, and something that I learned was it's really easy to buy a small starter home for a, really affordable number and move out of that home and move up from that home. It is much harder to buy something that's not a starter home price wise, not necessarily size wise, but price wise and move out of that home when the market is tough because uh, you can't afford it, which probably means very few other people can afford it. And that's uh, that's challenging to downsize in a bad situation it's much easier to to be pre-downsized if if it kind of all falls apart for that beginner home buyer. So don't think, and and most likely the first place you buy is not going to be the last place you live in. Uh, it's just it's probably not going to happen that way. Uh, for a lot of folks I who agree. listen, yeah, a lot of folks who are listening to that, you're not in that phase of life. So make sure you tell those younger folks out there uh, if you've had an ex a similar experience. Uh, I, I know I, I was living in Florida and I moved out of that house and I bought a, another essentially starter home when I moved back home to Wisconsin. And then we kind of upgraded to the place most likely we're going to stay until uh, kids are out of school. And then we'll probably downsize again because we we're not the type of people who want to live in a big house uh, when it's just uh, us getting old. We want to be probably closer to um some uh, some culture life stuff down in the city. Most people would say Milwaukee, Wisconsin doesn't have much culture, and I beg to differ. Come and check it out. Uh, but no, so no, thank you. That answers. Oh, go ahead. Sorry, Brett. I was gonna say I know how you feel because we're here in Kansas City, and people would say the exact same thing about us. But we we've got a lot to do, so I I get it. Oh yeah, and you guys have some of the best barbecue in the country. The North Carolinians will fight that, but. I don't think they have that big of a leg to stand on. No offense, North Carolina. I like a lot of other stuff going on down there. Uh, I guess well, – um, what was that, Brett? Oh, I was just going to say the, the folks from Memphis and the folks from Texas like to challenge that too. So, oh, yeah, of course. Well, yeah, I, there we go. I think uh, I think uh, Brett and NBK, NBKC should have uh, – they should sponsor a big barbecue cook-off of pilots – North Carolina, Texas, and uh, uh, Memphis, and they can all come to Kansas City. We can have a huge barbecue out and a, BB, a big barbecue sponsored by you guys, and then um, we can talk a little bit of mortgage stuff and better yet eat uh, tremendous food for uh, an entire weekend. That's that's my yep, plan. I'm yeah. in on that. All right, good. We'll, uh, what we'll do is we'll, we'll when we push this out to the network, one of our um, – diligent, hardworking uh, individuals out there who's got all sorts of time on their hands because they're retired from the military and they're just doing uh, their uh, airline stuff, they can put this all together and come up with a proposal. 
so hopefully somebody will run with that. Uh, I wish I could, but I don't have the I don't have the time or the brain power to do that kind of thing. So uh, I, I think um, one of the final things I wanted to ask before we get into how everybody can contact you um, is so this is really to me one of the bigger questions I've had for a while. Um, I don't understand how a mortgage originator essentially makes their money. I, I mean, I get closing costs, but there's so many different costs that can go into that. I don't understand how they make their money, especially on a refinance because there's so little money changing hands, it seems like to me. So can you kind of go over that process so it's very transparent for the folks out there though, uh, and they can understand just like me where kind of how, how you get paid when, when, the process is, or when the process goes through and is complete? Um, yeah, loan originators get on a personal level, level they get paid based on production. Uh, so the more loans they do, the more they get paid. Um, and that's kind of, that's why it can be pretty competitive out there. And if you go shopping for a mortgage, um, and, and hit one of these, um, you know, national sites that allow you to, you know, click on and be contacted, you'll get, you'll get hammered with calls. So, so that's how we get paid. We, the more loans we close, the bigger our paycheck, um, but I think more what you're looking for there is how does the bank make money? Because the bank has to make money to pay us. Mm -hmm. um, and we, we touched on at the beginning there, um, you know, VA and FHA loans are government loans. And then the conventional loans are the Fannie and Freddie loans. And so those entities, the VA, which is, uh, which is, you know, part of the government and Fannie and Freddie, they ultimately pay for the loan. Um, so, and again, so if, if we sell them a $300,000 loan, you know, they, they pay us more than if we sell a, a $100,000 loan because it's based on a percentages. Um, you know, so let's just say it's 2%. Um, so, uh, you know, 2% of 300 is, is a lot more than 2% of 100. And so that's why the pricing is more flexible at the higher price point. Um, so those agencies, if you sell loans directly to them, they pay us to do that. Um, but then there's a lot of banks in the middle there. Your, your U.S. banks, your Wells Fargo's, your Chase banks, your Citibanks, all the big ones that you've heard of. Most of those banks will be an intermediary between the smaller bank and then the government entity, the Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, and they'll buy them directly. And, and then they might even sell them directly to the agency. Um, our little bank, a lot of times, will sell the loan directly to the agency. So if you do a VA loan, that means we're selling it directly to something that's called Jenny May. That's the, that's the government agency that runs the VA and FHA loans. Um, so they're kind of in a nutshell is, is how we get paid. We basically, we don't keep the actual loan here on the bank's books. In other words, um, we, we used our money to fund that loan for you, but then we sell it after the fact. Almost every bank does that. Um, and then there's additional ways to make money by selling just the servicing. Um, so if we were to sell a loan to Wells Fargo and then they serviced it also, in other words, collected your payment each month, there's, uh, there's, uh, extra money involved in that too. Um, so people ask, do, they do ask me that a lot because the VA loans, for example, we don't have any bank fees on them. So they're like, well, how do you make money? Um, and it always is, is a fun question for me to answer because the, there's, the, the banks do make money when they sell the loans. So does that kind of answer your question? Oh yeah, totally uh, answered exactly kind of what I was looking at. Uh, there was something I didn't understand in the very beginning, how the originator made money. I, I, I kind of sort of understood it uh, in what I thought was the way, but it was very general based. And I thought, okay, they're selling these mortgages. It's a really bad thing. And not really realizing that that's where the, the money transaction comes in. And I think that's when you start to look at the understanding of it all, that's the way, uh, that's the way that works. There's no other way to generate income for yourself on a, a more, I guess, expeditious basis, if it were, because otherwise you'd just be waiting 
30 years to collect these, these uh, loans. And unlike uh, 60 years ago, it's, it's a different world out there with how fast business can move. So I fully yep. understand it. And I fully uh, got a lot out of the conversation today with you, Brett. Uh, just go can I add one thing to that? Absolutely. Please go um, for it. Something I should have added to that is, and I might've been too vague there. Um, and because other ways banks do make money is by charging origination points or other types of bank fees. And, and so, you know, that might be, uh, an upfront fee they're charging you either when you're buying the house or refinancing it, um, a point equals a percent basically. So, you know, if it's a $300,000 loan, one point, it would be $3,000. So they may be adding that fee on there and making money in an additionally that way. Um, and then they, they do make more money by the higher the rate they charge you. Um, so in other words, you know, if we sell a loan at 3.25, we get paid one premium. If we sell the loan, you know, that exact same loan, but we we charged 3.5% on the rate, then we'd get a higher premium. And so that's where the shopping around comes into effect. And that's, that's why our industry is competitive. Um, but what I like to tell folks is we, we are always offering as a competitive of a rate as possible. And it's, everyone gets treated the same. So it's not like if I can get one guy to pay a higher rate than the other guy, I'll do it. Mm -hmm. My pay as an originator is not reflected on that. So that's, that's the nice thing about our bank is they don't encourage us to charge extra just so we can personally make more. It's, it's the opposite. We're only, we all have the same rate quote and it's the best one we can offer. And then again, with the points and the fees, that's where we do a great job too. Cause like I said, on the VA loans, there's just, there's no, bank fees at all in the conventional loans, they're not very high. Um, so I, I think that might be information that was interesting to, to all you, of your, 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 your people too, um, is that if you, if you get and you end up with the wrong originator, you might be paying more than you even have to. Yep. That, uh, that makes a, uh, that, that makes a, a lot of sense and makes a difference. I think it, you're starting to go more based on um, somebody working for you uh, that also benefits themselves as well, not necessarily working against you for the benefit of themselves. I think when you kind of, uh, when you rising tide raises all boats, we say, say it around TPN all, all the time and that paid forward mentality. That's why we reached out where I should say that's after Brett reached out to us through actually after his brother-in-law reached out to us and that's right, right. It was your brother-in-law that first got us all introduced. If I remember correctly. Yep. Andrew, my brother-in-law is the one that introduced me to you and reached out to you and, and uh, Matt and, and he saw the benefit and he, he saw the name being thrown around on Facebook a lot in your group and thought we would be a good match. Um, so, so, and I agree. I think we'll be a great match too. It's exciting. That's I, I'm stoked too. Cause I, uh, it, it, when it comes to financial stuff, Matt and I have a very tight leash on who we allow to talk to the group or let in because it is can be unnerving. You can you can invite the wrong person in, and the next thing you know, you feel like you you're scamming the the, the folks who who really care about Pilot Network. And Brett's mantra and ideals really fit what we're trying to do and paying it forward and making making the group move in a better direction towards the goals that they want to get to. So. Uh, I want to thank Brett for joining us today. And, and the one final question I have, or not really question, is Brett, I want you to let everybody know, and we'll release all this stuff within the group, and I'll have it put, put posted in the show notes as well. If you could let folks know, what's the best way to reach you in the multitude of ways they can do that? Um, email or phone. They both work great. I'm eager to talk to anyone or trade emails for folks who aren't as much as interested in a phone call. Um, so direct phone line, 913-383-6408. And then email is just uh, first.last at nbkc.com. So B-R-E-T-T -T dot S-C-H 
N-A-K-E at nbkc.com. Our Any, website. Oh, yeah, you, go ahead. Website, too. That's is, perfect. It's, yeah, it's nbkc.com. Um, so if you go on there and look around, there's, there's a lot of us here that do this. So please reach out to me directly and I'll, I'll, I'll help you out any way I can answer any questions you have. And it's, you know, if it's just a quick question for today, you're not doing anything till next year, then, then don't be shy. Don't be afraid to ask however I can help out. If you're right in the middle of a transaction right now, that's, you know, going to close next week and it's too late for you to back it up, but you have some concerns that you just are curious about, I'll, I'll help you with that too. However we can help out, we're happy to do. Well, that, that's, that is awesome here, Brett. That's exactly what uh, the, we're trying to partner up with, with folks like you for TPN. So thank you again for joining us today, uh, folks. Again, uh, if you want to reach out and talk to Brett, 913-383-6408 is his direct office phone. Email him at Brett Shinaki at nbkc.com. And uh, you can also go to the website, nbkc.com, and search him through that. Uh, we'll put links up to Brett's stuff in the Facebook group and on the show notes, uh, as well as we'll, we'll, uh, we'll search him out on his uh, Facebook page and see if we can find him there and, and uh, push you guys over to him as well. Um, Brett, again, thank you for joining us. Uh, I had a great time chatting and learning something about the mortgage industry today that I did not know and also how you can directly help me as a veteran and a pilot who's got that weird verification for income stuff. So I do truly appreciate it. Yes, sir. Happy to visit with you. Thanks so much. You're welcome. And folks out there, I want to take uh, one more chance and say, or a chance before this should be, uh, well, I think maybe we might do one more recording here before the holidays. Hopefully we'll get it out to you. Thanks for listening. If you got any questions for Matt or I, hit us up at heyguys at thepilotnetwork.org or find us on Facebook or Instagram. We're there too. If you need to chat, need to get something off your chest, you want to volunteer, you want to send something our way to put in the Pilot Network quarterly. We're here to listen. So until next time, keep the bright, shiny side up and the rubber, greasy side down, and we will talk soon. Fly safe and take care, everybody.